Well, this is According to Callus, and I'm here with a brief conversation of what I heard the other night. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining me for episode 134. Well, I gotta tell you, I'm a little taken aback. Not quite sure I want to do this episode, but... Following the principle of principles over party, I have to. So, I attended a meeting last in the last week where I listened to a sitting member who is running for re-election. One asked the simple question... Do you believe there is a way that public schools, private schools, and homeschoolers can coexist? And there's a benefit, maybe a benefit of working off of each other or utilizing each other's strengths. This individual basically said no. There should be a distinct separation and anybody that is not attending public school should have no access, no access whatsoever to the public school stuff. Now, to me, that's interesting because there's three things that come into play there. Well, one, you don't have a choice to fund the public schools. The government schools are funded merely by the fact that you're there, you exist in that area, and see what happens if you don't pay them. They'll come take your property, and before they take your property, they'll come collect the funds, and they'll do it with guys with suits and badges and guns. So, you're not really given an option. You must pay for that government school. Secondarily, if you are paying for said government school and you choose to go uh, and utilize a private school, you are not only paying with zero control for that, you are now I'm sorry, I'm just trying to sort how I want to say this. You're paying twice. And in some ways, you're paying for three times. Because if you take advantage of the government school, for whatever reason, your kid can partake in any of the activities, any of the after-school activities. They're considered an enrolled student. If you don't, well, if you want to take part in any of those extracurricular activities, if you're a private school or homeschool, does not offer them, like, and that would be a co-op for a homeschooler, if they're not offered and you want to go utilize something else, you have to pay for that as well. So you have your property taxed at what the taxing entity determines it's worth, real or imagined. They come take your money. Then they pay for a school that you may or may not opt to use. Then when you go and pay extra for education for your child that 
you have determined is better for your child, they wish to exclude you from using any of the things that you've already paid for, whether you wanted to or not. So then you have to go and buy those or rent those uh, facilities or equipment separately. So you're paying yet another time. What's worse still is they pass bonds. Bonds which you probably, depending on your age, may not even live to see paid off. But uh, they came and took your money. So that that's problem number one. They they make you pay two, three times. Problem number two. The attitude was is it's our money, not your money. In other words, we've already stolen it from you. I'm sorry, that's the the inner libertarian coming out. We've already assessed you a fee for the privilege of living in our city or our school district. We have taken this money and we are utilizing it and we have appropriated for this purpose. And you have very little control over it and we're not going to allow you access to it. So that's, that's very frustrating because they control it now. And rather than considering that there are plenty of people that may live in their district that don't utilize the schools as they were originally designed or their primary purpose serves, which is to educate children. The facilities are there for everyone to use, right? They are a publicly owned institution, property, but that's not the way they treat it. They behave as if it is a privately owned by the city, mind you, or the district itself. And they are very, very tight with the control. I mean, just for instance, if you go to the local cathedral to football in McKinney, you'll see that the entire parking lot is gated off and you have no access to it except for special events. Now, I understand the reasons why that might be. I really do. But if the public owns it, the public ought to have access to it. But that's not the way it works. The third takeaway was the assumed control. Um, This particular individual had a lifetime in the education establishment, had a number of roles within the educational system, and now is sitting on a school board. And I begrudge none of that. I mean, that that is a generally a lifetime of dedication to a specific thing. But to act as if you're entitled to control this and dictate to everyone else how it must be and basically assert that you know better than anybody else by comments made then it's kind of frustrating. It's kind of frustrating because at least on the surface, this individual says things that conservatives want to hear, generally protects quote unquote conservative issues, but acts as if he's the commissar, right? This is, this is my school district. This is my money. This is my rules. And 
No, the rest of you plebes don't have access to it. Now, of course, this is me reading a little bit into it. This is me kind of exaggerating just a little bit to prove a point. But the underlying attitude was there. And it was palpable to me. And I'm going to guess that my libertarian friends that are maybe a little more sensitive than this were picking on it big time. And some of the conservatives that were there, I would think that they might be a little nervous. Because what's to say tomorrow this individual doesn't flip sides? This individual doesn't decide he wants to do X, Y, or Z. This individual should she think that it is in everybody's best interest will do this. And by best interest, I mean her best interest, right? So it is, it is a curious thing. What would he do? How do we know how she would vote? The interesting thing is, <clears throat> excuse me, the interesting thing about that is, is that if she has this assumed power now, after being reelected for the umpteenth time, what more grandiose vision might come about? I mean, would it be an expectation that buildings get named after, um, you know, I mean, like, for instance, I have every expectation that at some point McKinney Stadium is going to be the McDaniel Stadium. That's frightening to me. I mean, they renamed Memorial Stadium after some guy that was the uh, there forever at Frisco ISD. And, and I don't begrudge the guy. I don't know the guy. I, I mean, actually, I don't know any of the individuals I'm referring to personally. And I... I don't begrudge them, nor do I wish them any harm or any ill will. I just find it mm, disturbing. If anything, if you were going to do anything in your city or school district and you built some temple to the football gods, you would think you would sell the naming rights to try and recoup some of the investment and give it back to your taxpayers that you've burdened. But... I digress. So the individuals that come from this mindset, it disturbs me. And I want to scream at the top of my lungs, it's not yours to give. The way the school districts work, and this is my interpretation or my understanding, because after it is, according to Callis, so I get to do this, a school district in concert with the other taxing authorities within your district or your county determines the value of your home. And then when they determine the value of your home, they determine what percentage or what cut they get out of the value of your home. And they claim that this is beneficial to you because it maintains your property value. The only problem is if my property value is inflating by 10% year over year for 10 years, how much is my house allegedly worth now? Think on that. Be that as it may, if I was paying $4,000 of tax a year, which in McKinney would be quite low, but just hypothetically go with me here. If I'm paying $4,000 a year in property tax just for the school district and my value of my house doubles within 10 years, now I'm paying $8,000 per year to a school district. 
that I may or may not even be using. So if they do that across the board and they're raking in millions of dollars and we divide it by the number of students we have when they, at least in the city of McKinney, haven't really grown numerically of any consequence in the last few years, where's all this money going? So if you're in a local city or a local town nearby and your city's doubled in the last two or three years, well, you could certainly understand why you would need to build another school. You have more enrollment. You have to expand things and you're going to have to start offering some extra things to get in the quality teachers that school districts need. And there are ways to do things. There are, there are ways to incentivize the teachers to perform, to get higher education beyond just paycheck. I mean, let's be honest, the paycheck is usually the most easily motivating thing, but there are other things you can do. I mean, for instance, if you're going to be making $55,000 a year with a bachelor's degree and you really only have to work 10 months out of the year and never work weekends, that's a pretty good deal. But I know that a lot of teachers, educators say, well, we have to work longer hours than that. And we do do some work on the weekends. And in my answer is, well, yes, I mean, that's part of it. But if you're coaching, you get paid extra. If you go and teach summer school, you get paid extra. If you do extra things, you get extra pay as you should. The question is, is if you're getting $500 a year bump for whatever accomplishment, is it worth your time? Well, if it's not worth your time, then why would you do it? If it's not a requirement, why would you do it? I mean, this is simple, you know, cost value ratio, right? I can't answer that for you. I don't know what's best for you. I did look into going into education. I took all of my education courses. I was informed when I completed that, well, you know, we're not going to help place you in a school district. You're going to basically go have to work for free. That's a non-starter. Or you're going to have to basically do an internship where you're going to get paid basically half of what they pay a regular teacher because you're going to have a mentorship. Again, that's a non-starter. When you have a family already, you can't afford to work for $30,000 a year or $25,000 a year. But people do it all the time. The issue is, if they really needed teachers, they wouldn't expect people that are professionals that are making $50,000, $80,000 a year to take a giant step backwards so that they can go start over in another career. And we hear about how they need teachers. They, they, they need people to step in and do a good job. And they, they do pay a fair, fair salary. They really do. But they're very picky, very choosy. And they're kind of concerned about politics. And in today's day and age, I get that, right? I mean, but they have no problem hiring lefty crazies. But boy, you'd be right of center or you're pro guns or you're pro this or you're pro that. Oh, we can't have you in our school district. Now, again, that's not every district everywhere. Granted, but the school districts that tend to pay more also tend to have a little bit more requirement and they can be a little pickier. And again, that's all good. And how does this tie back into what I was talking about? Oh, yes. Well, that is the question, isn't it? Because they're taking all this money and they're spending it on all sorts of things other than the one thing that the school district needs to focus on, and that's getting high-quality teachers to educate the children. Now, 
I honestly fail to see the value that a master's prepared teacher that's going to do fifth grade brings to the table. I'm sure somebody can make an argument. I'm sure there's valid arguments. I'm just not seeing where that teacher's worth 20 grand more a year. I I don't see it. Could it be? Sure. I'm open to listening to an argument, but let's just say for right now, that's kind of beyond my understanding. But if you get to a high school teacher and that guy's or lady's got a master's or a doctorate in a particular subject and that is the subject they teach, yeah, that's kind of valuable. But the other thing you have to consider is you're teaching a high school student with somebody with a master's or a PhD, what are they going to be able to teach that student? I mean, let's face it, most, most classes are anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half. They cover base material because all the students have to be able to accomplish it. And being that there's a bell curve, you know, 70% of the students are going to be covered right in the middle. And I'm making up that number. I don't know the exact number. Let's say it's 80% just for argument's sake. So the really high performing students are kind of in left or unless there's some kind of track or gifted and talented program, they're kind of sit there idling by they really don't benefit from the guy or the lady with this master's or phd preparation and then the other students that really need the help maybe that's where these teachers are going maybe they're going in the special eds program i i I mean if somebody does need help i mean a speech pathologist or a functional you know therapist maybe that's the right course of action there's your argument well The thing is, it's not their money. They shouldn't be calling all the shots and they shouldn't be punishing people for paying their fair share and then wanting a little something back. That's the long and the short of it. And it's particularly irritating to me to hear somebody that's running for office tell you to your face, well, it's our money now and we control it and tough for you. That just kind of grated on me. I just had to get it off my chest and... It wasn't a personal attack. It's just kind of the way it is. As I said, principle over party. All right. Well, that's all there is. I will see you on the other side. Good night.